Well, good afternoon, I guess. I'm going to say good evening, but it's not quite past 5 p.m., is it? My name is Brother James. They call me Jimbo. For those who are wondering, it means Adonis in the Greek, so we're good. Amen? It is an honor to be here. It is a pleasure. Uh, I bring greetings from Reformed Baptist Church of Elizabethtown in Kentucky, and uh, that congregation is praying for us this weekend, and we uh, have connections with Brother Ron Crisp and, of course, Brother Tim Scott, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you, and my lovely wife Sherry is here, and so we would be blessed to get to meet you afterwards. But if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, you would open them to the book of Galatians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 1. We'll be looking at the first 12 verses. And as you're turning there, we want to talk a little bit about what it means to have passion. Passion. I remember growing up, for me, my passions vain like, or waned like most young men, but they always centered around sports. And as you can imagine... Living in the great state of Kentucky, there's these two teams that tend to have a lot of passion, especially between the fans. And if you can believe it, there are some of those fans who actually like that team from Lexington. I don't know why, but it's a supposedly good team. But it is interesting how passionate we get. And I remember growing up, and my dad was a big UK fan, and I'll never forget going to the ball games, but... We didn't go to Lexington. I didn't know Lexington existed. See, my Sunday school teacher, yes, I blame the church for why I like Louisville, refereed at Freedom Hall. I sat on uh, Junior Bridgman's lap. I knew Rodney and Scooter McRae, Denny Crum. I met the man. I never met Joby Hall. I heard he's a good guy. But the point I want to make for you tonight is in that passion, we would, what, get this down deep defensive sort of this is who I am this is my identity and we would wage war and I'll never forget if Louisville lost and all the beautiful UK fans would mock me I would go through the week defeated but if we won I would celebrate and it was an intensity right we have an intensity and that intensity that dwells up in it is what we believe is our purpose, our focus. It gives us our identity. And we find identity in the very things that we're passionate about. And so tonight, I'm here to tell you that my passions have changed. I'm still a Louisville fan. But my passion is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see... When the Lord birthed me again and brought me into the kingdom of God, everything I was would die that day. My eyes were open anew, if you will, and I began to hunger and thirst for the Lord in such a way, as a young man who grew up in church, I knew the Bible stories, I, I knew Scripture, but I never knew Jesus. But the moment that God saved me, all that changed and I knew he wasn't an ideal, he wasn't an ideology, he was someone that was real and tangible and I'm passionate about him. And this is where we're going tonight. We want to have an intense, if you will, passion for the gospel. We want to have love for Christ. This conference we are part of is about contending for the faith, the defense of the true gospel. This is nothing new for the church. 
In fact, throughout church history, the apostles and even early churches were constantly defending the gospel, defending their faith. One such example is found in the epistle of Jude. And in, he's writing to the church, but then he has worry. And the reason for this worry and anxiety is that the very gospel itself is under attack by false teachers creeping in. And there are those who have come into the church, they were spreading false teaching, leading the church away into heresy. And because of this, Jude writes these words. Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered under the saints, or to the saints, unto the saints. You see, in the Greek, the word we talk about earnestly contending, it literally means to have an intensity, an extreme intensity. Not in a boastful, arrogant, hateful way, but in a God-honoring, God-fearing, we need to proclaim the true gospel way. Because it is the gospel that gives us life. It is the power of salvation. And I love what the Apostle Peter tells us, how we are to have this extreme intensity. In 1 Peter 1.13 Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How, he says, we are to gird up our loins. In other words, we are to prepare ourselves. And how do we prepare ourselves? By knowing the Word of God. This is where we are going tonight. You see, the Apostle Paul in our text He's writing to the church of Galatia. He wants to encourage them to remain steadfast in their walk and contend for the faith in the church. He writes Galatian, the book of Galatians, if you will, on his second missionary journey. It may differ in some people's view, but anywhere from you know mid-50s to late-50s. And the purpose of the letter was simply to address the false teachers who had come into the church. Here it is, promoting circumcision and a false gospel. Paul was writing the church, defending the gospel, proclaiming that no one comes to saving faith through the circumcision or keeping of the law, but only through faith in Christ. It's very important, isn't it? We, we can talk a good game. We, we know the hymns and we know the Bible verses, but do we truly know Christ and do we truly know that the gospel is the saving power? That he has given us. Let me give you an example. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power unto salvation. First to the Jew and then to the Greek and to all who would believe. You see it is the gospel, the true gospel that we must defend and proclaim. Because it is the testimony of our Lord. This is where we are going tonight. I have two points to share with you tonight. The first is understanding the gospel as revealed in Scripture. We need to have an understanding of the true gospel. The second is this. The church must be vigilant and always contending for the gospel. So would you join me now as we go to prayer and ask God's blessing upon this word. Father, I thank you for who you are.
And Lord, as we are here tonight, we pray to hear from you. I pray that you would bless the reading and teaching of your word. And Lord, as always, whatever is not of you may be forgotten. But God, we pray that you would move in such a way in our hearts that not only would we know you all the better, but we would go out and boldly proclaim the truth in Christ. And we ask for your mercy and your grace and your blessing of your presence now. In your name, amen. If you're in Galatians chapter 1, say amen. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So ends the reading of our Lord's word. Glorify yourself, God, in your name. The first point, understanding the gospel is revealed in Scripture. We would have no authority but man if we did not have Scripture. We have to have an authority outside of ourselves, a standard to which we can rely on that defines for us the true gospel. It is outside of ourselves that this authority must present to us the truth. It has to be objective. Though we have subjective truth, our personal testimonies, that which we believe, there has to be an objective truth, a truth that we realize or has been revealed to us, a standard to which we can rely on that not only defines the true gospel, but defines the God to whom the gospel belongs. It is here that we see Paul utilizing this authority by stating he is an apostle, not of men, but by Christ himself. Why is this important for us to contend for the faith? The apostle was establishing, number one, an authority outside himself, showing it was of Christ, 
And number two, that it was not of men who taught him, but that it was Christ himself who revealed the gospel to him. And it is like Paul unto us, we were revealed the gospel through the word of God, the testimony of Jesus. We did not teach ourselves the gospel. The gospel was revealed through the preaching and teaching of God's word and introducing us to who Christ is. Do me a favor, if you will, look at chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 again. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul opens the letter the way he does in verse 1. Notice his introduction. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and the God, the Father, who raised him from the dead. We understand when Paul introduces this, he's revealing the divine origin of his ministry and he's beginning to create a defense of the true gospel. Notice, just in that one verse, he shows that he himself has been revealed the gospel and what the gospel truly is. That God had raised the Son from the dead. And he is the one who is sent to proclaim this. You see, the issue that Paul is dealing with in Galatia is one that we would call justification. This is the cornerstone Christ is the cornerstone, but the cornerstone of the gospel is justification. What is justification? We need to understand that if we are to truly understand the gospel of Scripture. For there were those coming into the church that were adding to the gospel, they were perverting the gospel, and they were making the gospel man-centered. And instead of believing on the one who done all things, they decided that they themselves must contribute to the gospel, and therefore began teaching again the works of the law. Justification, as Paul's point of this letter, is simply that man cannot be justified by the works of the law. Therefore, he either cannot be justified at all, or he must be justified in some other way. Paul's argument is that God is the other way. A way that allows God to be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The process of justification by faith alone is how God deals with sinful people to make them fit for his presence. And it is only through the gift of faith given by God to those who believe in Christ. Notice with me in verse 4 how Paul makes this known in his letter. He says in verse 4, Who gave himself for our sins, speaking of Christ, that he, Christ, might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is te teaching that in Christ alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone, that men come to salvation. Before God, they are restored to God by Jesus Christ. And they are brought back into the right relationship with the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only through Christ and Christ alone. 
Do me a favor. Let's open this up a little bit, and I'm going to have you use your Bibles. Amen? I want you to go to Romans 5, 9 through 11. Some of you are like, well, I came here to hear you preach, buddy. Go to Romans 5, 9 through 11. To understand the gospel, we know that the gospel, here it is, is Christ and Christ alone. We have to understand that it is through the righteous sacrifice of Jesus Christ that our sins have been made atoned for. We have to know and realize that it is not of man or anything that we contribute that would lead us to salvation. In fact, let me be perfectly honest. The only thing that you contributed to the table for the gospel is your sinfulness. Amen? You are a sinner. But look at verse 9 in chapter 5 of Romans. Say amen if you're there. This Three people over here are there. Anybody else? Amen. Sisters, okay. But God commendeth his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, here it is, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his what? Blood. Speaking of his death. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, there we are being restored to God, here it is, by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, here is the salvation saved by whose life? His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. You can turn back to Galatians 1. I wanted to introduce that to you. I wanted to show you, to have a true understanding of the gospel, we must see that it is Christ and Christ alone. And what has happened on the cross is that Christ bore our sins. And not only has he bore our sin to appease the wrath of God, but he did something else. Do you know what he did? He took his righteousness and he imputed to you, those who believe. Freely given. If you miss that point, you will always strive to try to please God. And you will fail because you are still lost in your sin. Because you are trusting in your works instead of Christ. This is Paul's point. So the logical question, how then does one receive justification and this gift of faith? It is received through the testimony of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and its impact upon those whose heart is changed by it. To acknowledge Christ is to acknowledge God and receive the salvation promised by him through his son, Jesus. This is done through faith, here it is, that is given by God through the proclamation of the gospel and the testimony, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ couple verses to show you, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Notice in Ephesians 1, 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that ye believed were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Paul cuts to the very heart of justification of faith to the Galatians in chapter 2. Turn with me to chapter 2, verse 16 through 21. Paul is writing 
to the Galatians, and he's encouraging them to hold fast to the gospel he has preached, and he's educating them on what the gospel truly is. And notice in verse 16, say amen if you're there. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ. But by whose faith? The faith of who? Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. In other words, who do we put our faith in? In Christ or ourselves? Christ and Christ alone. We trust in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we were, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And look at verse 19. For through the law am dead to the law, and that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And what is he saying there? He's saying, listen, if you could be saved by keeping the law of God, then Christ died for nothing. You see, and what we have to realize as the church today is that the gospel preaching and teaching of the word has diminished across the world today to an easy believe in sort of system. We have taken out the true gospel of Christ and we replaced it with a good old boy gospel. I'll give you an example so you'll understand. How many know who Stuart Townsend is? He, he wrote a song called, yes, you know, In Christ Alone. In one of the stanzas, it says, here it is, On the cross, your wrath was satisfied. Well, a few years ago, the evangelical church wanted to rewrite their hymnals and use that song. But they had a problem. So they called up Mr. Townsend and said, hey, we love your song. We just want to ask you one favor. There's a certain stanza we would like you to change it up so that we could use it. And what's wrong? Well, you know when you talk about Christ on the cross satisfying the wrath of God, yeah, we kind of don't hold to that. Could you change it? To his credit and his faith in Christ, he said, no, click. You see, but think about this for a moment. There is a, and I'm not bashing on denominations. I'm a, I was born and raised a Southern Baptist. I'm now a Reformed Baptist. And trust me, we Baptists have a lot of issues. Amen? So I'm not just bashing on a denomination. But I am saying that there are people today that don't realize how important the death of Christ is upon that cross. And we have taken the word of God and we dumbed it down and we made it Sort of this, just believe, kiss your mama, love your neighbor, get baptized, join a church, and you're good. Oh, Ron, you're going you're gonna to love this. I'm going to quote a Southern Baptist right now. Who, who is a, a Reformed Baptist now? He's in heaven. His name is Adrian Rogers. Amen? Adrian Rogers said this, Satan was 
Rather, he just as well seen you to hell from the pew as he would the gutter. His point being is that there are people who believe in a God they have created. They do not know the true gospel because the church have dropped its guard. They have allowed the world in. They have allowed the devil in, the flesh in. And they are leading these people to hell because they do not know the scripture. They do not know the word of God. For someone to deny the cross and then give lip service to Jesus is a very disturbing thing. And this is what's happened. And this is what is, Paul is dealing with. They are taking away the power of the cross, the Judaizers, and they're adding the responsibility of salvation back upon the shoulders of the people. They are ensnaring them in the law instead of in grace promoting the love of Christ. And so, we see the true gospel will glorify God. The true gospel will always glorify the Father. But a man-centered gospel will always promote man and what he can do and what he can accomplish. The perverted gospel will glorify man and what they can do. Now, there's a couple, to- a couple, a couple takeaways I want to talk about before we move on to our next point. Turn back to Galatians 1 for me, please. Galatians 1, we're going to look at verse 11. Galatians 1, verse 11. I feel like I'm calling a bingo game, brother. Galatians 1, 11. Say amen when you're there. But I certify you, but I certify you, brethren. Notice Paul writing to the church. That the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, like the Apostle Paul I said earlier, we were taught about Christ from Scripture, and for us, that authority is the Scripture, and it is the testimony of Christ. There has to be, I said, an authority outside of man to reveal the true gospel. There has to be something outside of a sinful man. And God has given us his word. And this is why it is so important to hold fast to the word of God. For it is the word that governs Christ's church. Christ is the head. Amen. How does he govern his church? Not through prophets. Not through disciples well, disciples of Christ. Not through the apostles and prophets. But through the words of God. We have to understand that. And Paul was writing to this church. He expresses the truth in Galatians writing... And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. It is in Galatians 3.8, that quote. He is showing again in Galatians 3.22, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And it is scripture that reveals Christ and who he is. The Bible proclaims the testimony of Jesus through his works, deeds, ministry, and his teaching. <clears throat> I was talking. And <laughs> I don't want to get my brother Tim on the spot. But since I'm here and he's there. We were talking. And we were talking about some people we know. And we, we sometimes discuss these things as you know. And I believe that God can work through you and lead you. Amen. 
We believe in that. I believe that God can use His church to do many things. But if someone comes up to you and they say, I have a word from the Lord and there isn't a chapter or number verse after that, you need to stop them right there. We have discounted the word of God. We have taken our sword and not only have we sheathed it, we threw it away. How can you say you love someone and not listen to them? How can you say you love Christ, but you won't even listen to Him? How can you call others to repentance when you yourself know not that repentance spoken of in the Word of God? Paul's point to the Galatians, and through Galatians the whole book is saying, Turn to Christ, look to Christ, and that we know that the works of Christ testify to who He was. In fact, in John chapter 20, 30 through 31, just to sort of emphasize throughout the whole scripture, the apostle John writes, and many other signs truly Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But notice verse 31, he says, but these are written. Why are they written, John? That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. How do we believe Jesus is the Christ? Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God at sundry times and diverse manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Do you understand he's writing to the church and Hebrews is written in the late 50s and mid 60s, maybe a little later, 30 years after Christ ascended, how did they know the word of Christ? How did they know? They had the what? Writings of the apostles and the teaching. God says, in times past I spoke through the prophets, but now I speak through my son. And how do they hear from his son? Through his teachings. And how do we know the teachings of Christ? You're holding them in your hand. You see, there has to be an authority, and that authority is the Scripture. Paul's authority in that verse we read in 12 did not come from man. It did not come from his background, his education, his doctrine. It came from Jesus Christ, revealed to him. Second takeaway from the first thing we talked about, I think it's important, The gospel is a testimony of Jesus Christ who is mankind's only hope for salvation. The Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians, do me a favor, turn to Galatians 4. Guys, hang in there. You hanging with me? Everybody happy? Tim said I had an hour and a half. Am I good? I'll tell you what, I only go an hour 15. How's that? Look at Galatians 4 and verse 1. Say amen when you're there. Now I say that the heir, excuse me, heir, as long as he is a child, differ nothing from a servant, though... He be the Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, listen, 
God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, an heir of God through who? Christ. The gospel is about Christ. It's not about health. It's not about wealth. It's not about success. It's not about happiness. Unless you're Psalm 1611. Thy will show me the path of righteousness. By in your presence is fullness of what? Joy. By your side is pleasures forevermore. You see, the gospel is what God uses to save men. And it must be claimed faithfully and true. For it is the testimony of Jesus and why he is the Savior. And most importantly, it teaches us why we need a Savior. As Paul was writing in Galatians 4, we are what? We are under the law. We are condemned men and we need a Savior. But the truth of it is, you will never look for a Savior if you never see your need for a Savior. And how will they know their need for a Savior? Listen, I respect anyone who walks up and tries to share a testimony and talk about Jesus. Amen? Praise God. The Holy Spirit will use that. But a testimony is worthless if it doesn't include who Christ is and who they are in relation to Christ. You have to know why you need a Savior. You have to know why Christ came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, willingly went to the cross, was crucified, put in a tomb, three days later rose again, and 40 days later ascended to the throne of God on the right side. You have to understand that. Why did he do that? Because you deserve the wrath of God. And he is your only salvation. Galatians 3, 1 through 7. I know we're going through a lot of scripture, but I got to hammer, I got to hammer this into you. Go to Galatians 3, 1 through 7. And listen to Paul's plea, the intensity, his passion we talked about. He wants them to know Christ. And I truly believe, brothers and sisters, that Paul is not angry with the church. You know who he's mad at? Those who came into the church. And so he's crying out. Notice, say amen if you're in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Alright. Oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth. Here it is, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law? In other words, did you receive salvation because you kept the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? In other words, do you think you contribute to your salvation? That you'll reach glory because you did something to attribute to that salvation? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you in the Spirit worketh miracles among you. Doeth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Do you understand what he's pleading here? 
Look to Christ, not yourself. Look to the one who can save you. The gospel, the testimony of the one who came and delivered you from wrath. The one who saved you was Christ, not your works. To understand justification of faith, to understand salvation, one needs to understand the gospel. And the only way to truly know the gospel, as we said, is through scriptures. I remember an old preacher. You see, you have to go to Moses to get to Christ. Amen? Ron says that a lot. (laughs) Ron, I want to thank him. He taught me something the other day. I want to share this. He taught me this last night. I said, boy, when we get to heaven, it'd be great to see the scars of Jesus. He goes, no. I said, ooh. He said, what does Revelation say? They saw a lamb slaughtered. There are no scars in heaven because it will be seen as slain lamb. Do you understand that? Did I make that clear? You will see a slain lamb for you. That, that rocked my world last night. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Thank you, brother. You see, I think we have gotten too friendly with the world. We, we don't want to offend people. We, we want them to love us. And so we have hidden what the world calls cosmic child abuse from the cross. We've taken out Jesus from the gospel and we made it about you and how it can benefit you. And it takes away his glory. We have to defend that. And this leads us to our second and final point. It won't be long, I promise. The church must stay vigilant and always be contending for the gospel. Let's just look at verse 6 again. Look at chapter 1, verse 6 in Galatians. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you who would, here it is, pervert the gospel. They pervert it. How do you pervert the gospel? You add to it. Or you take, it, take things away. You take away the crucifixion of Christ and you add success in this world to it. You... you Change it to fit the needs or the wants of the people instead of the glory of God. Paul is dealing with those who have come into the church, perverted the gospel by causing the people to cling to the law again and not trusting in the grace of Christ. Paul is preaching the true gospel in verse 6. He was amazed that those who knew the truth would quickly fall prey to the false gospel. I want you to notice his intensity in verses 8 and 9. And you can glance over them. In our, but, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let them be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. He proclaims if anyone preaches a different gospel, let them be cut off from the kingdom of God. Why would he be so serious about that? Why would he say those sort of things? Because the gospel is the only hope that we have. It's the only hope we have is Christ Jesus. And if you take that away, then we are all left damned in our sin. And the sad thing is that there are churches today like then who have taken away the gospel. 
But his intensity, Paul's intensity, is not just to correct them, but to bring them back, right? He doesn't just say they're wrong. He promotes the true gospel to them so that they may understand and he reveals Christ to them. We see Paul in verse 11, he once again establishes an authority outside of himself, showing it was of Christ, not men, who taught him the gospel to proclaim the truth. And I wonder today, do we do the same? Do we point to Scripture? Why must I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because you, according to Scripture, are lost in your sins and the wrath of God abides on you. Or do you say, well, don't you want to go to heaven? Listen to me. Heaven and hell are real, amen? Getting out of hell to go to heaven, whoo, that's a good thing. But that is not the gospel. That is a result of the gospel. You need to know Christ. And how do we know Christ? Through the scripture. Let me give, I, I, Brother Tommy back at RBC had a Sunday school lesson, and he had a, Lifeway, and I know Lifeway is not that theological powerhouse, okay? But it had a, what we would call, uh, I lost the word, Tim, statistic, is that? Yeah, we'll go with survey. And there was almost a thousand people, I think, but I want you to hear, they were all Christians professing. Here's, listen to the numbers. 65% say they can walk with God alone without a church. Amen, sister. 32% of those surveys said they read their Bibles every day. Praise God for 32%. That is sad. I just want you to think about that. Me and my wife have been married almost 29 years. To her, it seems like 50. But it's been, it's been good. Can you imagine if I only talked to her out of 29 years? Let's just say, I don't know, 15 of those years? That's half. That's more than 32 I wouldn't have much of a relationship, would I? 27% say they read it a few times a week. My favorite is the 12%. They say they read it once a week. I wonder when they read the scripture. Once a week. Probably on a Sunday. I'm just throwing that out there. 11% said a few times a month. 5% once a month. 12%. One out of eight rarely or never read the Bible at all. In 2016, one in five of those surveys said they have read through the whole Bible once. However, more than half surveys said they read little or none of it. You see, what's wrong, right? How do you defend something you know nothing about? Let me ask you a question. I know you're going to say you're Sunday school teacher and preacher, but <clears throat> how does man know about God? He reveals himself. In the Old Covenant, he revealed himself through his prophets. In the New Covenant, it was through Jesus and his disciples. And then to us, his word. We know God through his word. I want to close with this. And we're done. Five minutes of your time. And two things that I want to talk about. First is this. We have to begin to glorify God and quit fearing man. We have to know our God and glorify his name and preach, live, worship, proclaim him. 
We have to. I have never seen it, but I heard my grandmother talked about it. The Lord's Day used to be a, a, a wonderful time because everything was shut down and everybody had respect for God, it seemed. Not, not man, God. They knew God. They feared God. Even the sinner. I, I'll never forget, uh, there was a quote, I wish I could remember saying it. He was a hedonistic author. And he loved writing. And God says, don't you fear God? Every time I close my eyes at night. Today, though, churches not glorified God at all. We come a get-rich-quick scheme or come find your, I don't know, you fill in the blank. I want to do this today because I think maybe there's, I see some young children here and I, I just want to, I want people to know the gospel. And I'm going to borrow a hymn book, Tim, because I don't like using the Bible for this. Uh, you just preach on the Bible you don't like using it pastor you'll see why in a moment Christ did two things on the cross 2 Corinthians 5.21 is where we find this for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him for the sake of argument let's say that this book represents every one of my sins and yes this room cannot hold the books of my sin amen but this is it And let's say that every one of these are my sins. So do you know what Christ did on the cross, the first thing? He said, Father, Jimbo is mine. I'm taking his sin. And he puts his name here. So guess what? Every one of these sins, who took the punishment for him? Christ did. Let's just say, and of course you glue the pages down. Let's just say this white is every yeah, sin Jesus committed. No, there's nothing written there, right? You know what the second thing he did for Jimbo? Not only did he take the punishment for Jimbo's sin yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but he took my name and he put it here. He imputed righteousness. Not my righteousness. God does not look and say, boy... Look what Jimbo's accomplished. Look what Jimbo's done. That's a good guy. No. He says, look at my son. And he sees me righteous. That's the picture of justification. That's the picture of the gospel. Christ died to appease the wrath of God for your sins and for you to find forgiveness and to be reconciled to him. It has to be through Christ. And once you are reconciled to Christ, you are adopted in as a son, and you are brought back into relationship with the one who created you. We have to defend the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you for these wonderful people here. I thank you for allowing us to gather once again to hear the gospel proclaimed. God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of the individuals who may not know you, or maybe they're trusting in themselves. Maybe, Lord, they're looking in a mirror and they gauge their success of the Christian walk by how they did that day instead of looking to you. God, would you please break them and draw them to Christ. And, Lord, I pray for this church. 
pray for its pastor, its leadership. Use them, Lord, as a lighthouse in the darkness. Use them to preach the gospel to this community. And glorify your name, Father. Amen.